Root Simple Podcast. Low tech, home tech. Hello and welcome to the Root Simple Podcast. We're the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover gardening, home economics, and DIY living. This show is hosted by myself, Eric Knutson, and Kelly Coyne. We are the authors of The Urban Homestead and Making It, Radical Home Ec for a Post-Consumer World. Our topic this week on episode 34, the Root Simple podcast, is decluttering the house. Hey, Kelly. Hi, Eric. How are you? We're decluttering. I'm I'm dusty and tired of decluttering. And there's, you know, should be said we're in the living room recording this podcast and there's boxes of junk. Well, yeah, there's a, there's a crate of recycling there and some uh, thrift store boxes and some empty boxes that the cats are enjoying. The cats enjoy decluttering. It does a lot of things that cats like. It brings new boxes into the house. It opens up new spaces like new cabinets and drawers that have previously been full and then they get emptied out and then the cats get to go in and claim that territory. That's exceedingly exciting for the kitties. And they like to sniff everything that we uh, turn up to. So the cats have been thrilled with decluttering. It should be said we're not hoarders. I just want to make that clear. We're not like the New York brothers. What are they? The Colliers brothers, the famous hoarders of the early 20th century. So we say we're not hoarders. We say we don't have a problem. But I think everyone in, in America has a problem. Well, there's this, um, I mean, I think especially in the last 30 years since we've uh, had access to exceedingly inexpensive consumer goods out of Asia, especially China, uh, I think our, our just the, the amount of stuff we've got has just gone up because it's very easy to go to Ikea or walmart or target or whatever and and you know you pick up things for just dollars that used to cost quite a bit so we we talked about this house that we live in our house was built in 1920 and it has almost no storage space because folks back then didn't have as much stuff especially in terms of clothes clothes are so cheap now people have so many of them but um back then one little tiny closet clothes closet was enough and you had your like as a woman, I'd have maybe my Sunday dress, my dress for housework, and then maybe one or two day-to-day dresses and maybe good shoes and work shoes. And that's it, you know. And now people, t- you know, often have maybe two, you know, two closets full of stuff, um, like a winter closet and a summer closet. Or the, the new houses are built to, to maximize the kind of storage space because people have so much stuff. And our stuff... Even though we have big houses with lots of closets now, we still don't have enough space. And so we're you know, filling up our garages and renting storage space and things like that. Whereas obviously, just looking at our house, our 20s house, this was not an issue. And so for us, um, as 21st century people living in a 1920s house, uh, it, the house has over the years, I think, kept our accumulation down just, just because it's a small box. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, we have accumulated over 15 years, and it was time to get rid of some of it. Speaking of 21st century, there's a book that really haunts me called Life at Home in the 21st Century. And it's a book that grew out of a UCLA study by a group called the Center for Everyday Lives of Families. 
a lot of anthropologists involved in that study, and what they did was they set up cameras in, I think it was 35 Los Angeles area houses to videotape how the homeowners were using it. And they really carefully looked at how many objects were in the room and things like that. It was almost like they were doing, you know, they were doing anthropology. It's almost like digging up an they ancient... They were doing anthropology. Yeah, they were doing, they were doing anthropology. What am I saying? Of course, they're looking at contemporary... Uh, lives in, in the West. And they also, this book is really worth checking out. It's, maybe, a, it's amazing. Maybe at the library, because the book, they also interestingly hired a art photographer to do the photography for the book to accompany the text. So it's not a dry academic book at all. It's actually quite... It's kind of like a big picture book or a coffee table book. And it's haunting. And there's those big, big color spreads of, you know, just typical Californian like a child's bedroom, you know, with hundreds of stuffed animals in it or a but the thing about cluttered it, bathroom. Well, that's the thing is that unlike Martha Stewart Living, which shows <laughs> or dwell. Us, or Dwell or any of these kinds of magazines, this book actually shows how the we, way people actually How we live. really live. And it, it's not just a U.S. problem. Uh, oh, no. I used to have a Japanese book that showed how people in Japan live. Oh, the, which, the book about Tokyo apartments. Exactly. Was it that one? Which, yeah, that was a little book of Tokyo apartments. And so then you're dealing with people with the same materialist impulses as us in the US, but with very expensive uh, housing prices, you know, comparable to, to Manhattan, you know, most places in the US, um, we have, we can afford to spread out a little bit, but in Tokyo, you cannot. And so, uh, so you, what you have is tiny places just crammed with stuff it's crammed crazy crammed but of course i mean it, it it's it's just that book was just also haunting because mm -hmm. it's it, it's it's like you said more the same amount of stuff but in less space and it's the antithesis of that um the the the, the zen minimalism well, you, you think soji screens soji and tatami screens. mats and <laughs> yeah, but, empty space but, but that's not no. that's not the modern life of japan at all no. Speaking of Japan, we have a new guru. We do. How did we discover? It was a reader, actually, who who turned us on to Marie Kondo. I think Kondo would be. Kondo, thank you. Yes. She's not a condominium. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Marie Kondo, or um, um, her nickname's Konmari, and she's a Japanese clutter consultant. I don't know what, what she calls herself, but she's she's been like a media darling lately. She's gets a, she's had a lot of press. Uh and I think she's very big in Japan and and big here. Um and you know, not that she's unique. I'm sure there's been other extreme decluttering authors uh and sort of like diet books, these things come and go. And we just happen to latch on to Konmari, the Konmari method. Uh, and it came at the right time. Like the comment came in when we needed to hear it, when we were ready to hear it. Or actually, no, it came in a little bit before we were ready to hear it. Uh, I remember we saw it and I looked at the trailer for the book and... You kind of dismissed it. You kind of I dismissed it because it looked too extreme. I was like, oh man, you know, it's this, 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 you know, video with this perky young Japanese woman talking about how we had to love all of our objects and how we shouldn't have anything in our house that we didn't adore. And and while the camera pans over over interior landscapes that look like Dwell Magazine, like not a thing in there except for like the furniture and a perfect tea kettle. It just, you know, it just didn't look like the way normal people lived. 
But... <laughs> but it confirms something that I'd been thinking for a long time, which is the key is just to get rid of crap, not to organize crap. And I think that's the essence of her Yeah, her that's at the heart of it. It's like you can organize and organize and organize, and you can buy organizational systems of different well, sorts. You know, let's, let's say there's a store called the Container Store. The Container Store. The Container which, Store didn't exist when I was a little kid. It didn't exist. It certainly didn't exist in the 20s. It's a store to, it, that, that, to sell containers to hold all the crap. That, all the crap that we have. Exactly. So people spend a lot of time shuffling their crap around. And and we, as our regular listeners know, you know, we have this trouble with house cleaning, right? We're always complaining about house cleaning. and And part of that reason is because we're cleaning around crap. So if the decks are totally clear all the time, it makes just the maintenance, the swabbing the decks is much easier to swab if you don't have block and tackle all over the decks to get nautical. Well, do you want to briefly describe the KonMari method? Well, the Con... Okay, well, basic. we were saying she just advocates getting rid of it all. Like just that we just simply have too much stuff. We have to come to terms with that and, and get rid of it. Uh, and if you get rid of enough stuff organization isn't really an issue anymore. There's just room. The cabinets are empty. They're, you know, you have a drawer with just a couple of things in it. Let's well, see. where do well, you start, though? Where, where do you start, start well, with? She, you start with clothes, she, right? Yeah, she has a very specific uh, sequence of purges. That Starting you do with the easiest the and moving to the From most difficult. To so clothing is first, and then the most difficult is, is it's mementos and, and mementos. And, and photographs and personal mementos, letters, things like that. Because those are the things that that trip us up. Like say you're trying to clean out a closet or, or something and, and, you, and you're doing pretty well getting rid of the obvious things. And then you run across like a box of photos or an old yearbook or something. And then you end up, you know, either dithering, like, like sitting there and, 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 looking through it and having a little trip, spontaneous trip down memory lane, or you just don't even know what to do with it. You think, you know, well, these pictures are important, but should they go in an album, blah, blah, blah. And it, and they always, always throw you off. So by her, her system is categorical sorting. So when you're sorting clothes, you're only sorting clothes, but you're sorting every piece of clothing in the house. You would just gather everything together and go through it all at once. I think that's what's unique about it um, to me, or what's it was. I don't know if it's unique in amongst purging gurus, but it was new to me. Like pull together all your clothes, even stuff out of the laundry basket, your gym bag, find it all, go through it all at once, as opposed to going through things locationally, where there's many different things. Like in your bedroom closet, you have not just clothes, but you might have, you know, the photo album might be in there or whatever, and you and you get confused. So it, it keeps down confusion to stay on target with one category at a time. And I got to say, the clothes went pretty easily for me. Well, you don't... <laughs> um, you you are not a clothes horse. This is true. So Eric, <laughs> Eric's problem is tends to be more that he doesn't have enough clothes rather than that he has too many. Uh, so he just had to get rid of the ghastly worn out things. I had gotten him a bunch of new shirts for Christmas and he hung those up and he was done. I had a lot more to go through, although just the limits. You had your 90s goth wardrobe to go through. <laughs> and some of it. Was, I exaggerate. but no, Some of it was still surviving. Most of it's gone. But really, we don't have that much closet space. Again, so my wardrobe wasn't as big as it could be, I think, by normal 21st century U.S. standards. Uh, but still, I piled all my clothes up. They took up our whole queen-sized bed. 
uh, and, and mounded and the cats rejoiced and ran around and slept on all the piles and and I went through it and I got rid of a lot. There were many bags. Did you count how many bags? Of I got clothes? six six garbage six bags. Six garbage large garbage bags that went to the thrift store. You you say. got rid of two. Uh, yeah. Went and so charity. I got rid of a bag of that was just trash, you know, things that were just too raggedy to give away and and my closet is is really empty now. And I don't And neat. It's neat. I don't I, I'm having trouble because I don't actually she her uh, we should say that an important aspect of the KonMari method is that when you gather everything together, then you pick up every item one by one and you contemplate it for a moment. You hold you. She's she's insistent that you hold it in your hands alone. Think about it for a second, and and ask yourself whether that object gives you joy. She wants everything in your house to give you joy, and this is a hard concept to wrap your uh, head around because some things you know you think you need but don't give you joy and. Maybe we can talk about that. Well, this later. reminds me of William Morris, who said Little, everything should be either useful or, or useful. Useful, useful, yeah. But that's, I think there's a lot of room for cheating with the Morris quote because a whole lot comes under useful. That's true. And so a lot of stuff but sneaks not necessarily, in. But doesn't necessarily give you joy, which no. it, that is a good question. Yeah. So I was, you know, trying to find clothes that gave me joy. And actually, I'm dissatisfied with my wardrobe. That's why I'm going to make a uniform. I and then run down to the Prada. Blood. You're running down to Prada. I'm going to go to right? Prada and get a whole new exactly. wardrobe. Now, but I'm going to make a make a wardrobe for myself eventually, even though I can't sew. This is like uh, my expectations and my abilities are are kind of wild, wildly uh, disparate. But I'm hoping to to have... A wardrobe I really want. So basically, I ended up keeping just enough clothes to keep me decent. <laughs> it's a little bit like I'm traveling all the time now. I have, you know, I just have a, you know, I, I could probably fit all my clothes in a large suitcase at this point. So at least you don't look like a member of Flock of Seagulls anymore. I never looked like. Kidding. <laughs> Nor did I. Look Nevertheless, like there Lopper. was yeah, there was some old clothes that that were purged at that point. And you you know it it was a little more um, difficult for you, but I think you got through it in. That didn't take long. It, it was didn't a, take it was, long. It was like the afternoon. couple hours. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Things get steadily harder under this method. Well, uh, what was next? Oh, next papers, was, papers. Next was, was books. Next. No, no, no. We no, did books? papers. No books. Papers. Books. Papers. Books. Papers. I'm sure books. Okay. Was next. Well, let's say we did books. Okay, <laughs> I win. Okay, you win. We did <laughs> books. Books uh, was not that hard either, actually. No, we did books together, and we cleared out a lot of books. And with books, that they is... kind of fell into a number of categories. There were books that we had read, absorbed, and for some reason hung on to, not really ever intending to reread them. They just ended up on the bookshelf. Those were easy to get rid of. There were books that... We'd we never would never read, read. And don't even know where they came from or why we had them. Those and were there easy. were books that were half-read... Yeah. And not finished for whatever reason. Cone Mari has this way of saying, she says, uh, if, a lot of people say, well, I'm keeping this book because I've read half of it and I still have to finish it. But she says, you know, if you read half and that's all you read, then that's all you needed to read. And now it's time to let it go. And the, the other thing is I go to the downtown YMCA, which is steps from the massive central library here in Los Angeles, which I think has something like 6.2 million volumes of books and DVDs and everything. So that was another factor was simply knowing that most of the stuff that we got rid of, if we ever wanted to get it again for free, 
it's easy. Just any other, every other day I'm down there. So we just pick it up and check it out. It's free. So we kept, um, we kept a few kind of beautiful, unusual books that, you know, wouldn't be at the library. So we kept our reference books. We got rid of some reference books that we thought were no longer so relevant or so good, but we kept our favorite reference books, the ones we, we refer to all the time or, you know, or think are, you know, good enough to loan out or to be helpful. And so it's not as if our library got purged down to nothing. I think for the DIY set, books are maybe a little more important than people who are not DIYers. Like Rakon Mari was dealing a lot with um, urbanites, perhaps who don't work the land or don't have a lot of, you know, intensive crafty hobbies. And so maybe their bookshelves are full of more of things like computer manuals and fiction things like that, that are, are a little bit easier to get rid of. She she brags that she got down to, I think she has just like one shelf of books in her apartment, which is fantastic for her, but that's not going to work for us. However, we do not need to have piles of books on the floor because they don't fit on our mini shelves. So now everything is on a shelf and there's room on the shelves for new books. Although uh, one of our readers wisely pointed out that you have to do this not just once every 20 years, but periodically to yeah. purge the, not the just the books, but other stuff. But books is a good example of stuff Yeah, stuff will accumulate again. But I, I, I feel good about what we have. I mean, some uh, people were asking us, well, you know, don't you feel you need to keep the books in case of an emergency? You know, can you, can you rely on the library? But I think what we have, the core of what we have, if there is some sort of zombie apocalypse in which we need reference books... <laughs> And <laughs> we're not running, running away with our uh, sharpened hose, but are instead, uh, you know, at home looking up things. We have, we have the basics, and we have. Uh, I have my favorite fiction. I, I didn't. I was kind of soft on myself about the fiction. Like maybe I haven't read it for a while, but the stuff I really love. Again, she asked, "Does it give you joy when you hold it? When you look at it, does it give you joy?" And if I look at a book and it makes my heart flutter with happiness, I'm not going to get rid of it just because I haven't read it for a long time. So, you know, we, but we, got, we got rid of a lot of books. And back to the library, though, I, I should have said at the beginning that actually most, I think most of the books that you and I read actually do come from the library. We don't buy a lot of books. Yeah, day to day, we do with. not buy books. They, they are mostly library books, so we don't accumulate a lot. It's just sometimes the library doesn't have certain books. And then That's we'll, our, like our first we'll rule them. when we're interested in a book is to find out if the library has it. And exactly. then after that, we consider other ways of getting it. So uh, your, the, the book post became, we, we've been posting about all these things bit by bit, and the book post was very popular. And then Mark Fraunfelder very nicely put it on Boing Boing, that, that blog post. Also, the, uh, your clothes folding one, too, I think he put yes. on Boing Boing. Yeah. And it seemed so to touch got... off a little storm over there. And there were a lot of really nice comments on Boing Boing about, about the book post. Mm-hmm. In particular, the ones. So I, I did another post looking. It, it gets like a house of mirrors here, but uh, <laughs> looking more looking closely at, at some of those comments. Because one thing is, if you're when you're getting rid of all your books, then the question is, what do you do with your books? Now we're lucky in that our local friends of the library association will just take our books. But apparently, that is not true for everybody, and so some people have a hard time getting rid of their books, and uh, like thrift stores won't take them, and they don't know what to do with them. So that started a whole dialogue about what are the possible ways you can you can deal with your books. So what were some of those? Well, paperbackswap.com. Was mentioned a couple times. 
which I've never used. It should be said. Yeah. So actually, someone on our blog mentioned that. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Apparently, it's a it's a service where you like you sort of register with books that you have. I or think books that and you, you want. And you look for books that you want, and uh, when somebody wants a book that you have that you're done with. You send it to them by media mail. I suppose it's a U.S. thing only. Yeah, actually. For, for, the, for, for the, our, our foreign listeners, as I um, media mail is a cheap way to send books within the U.S. Which was oddly set up, I think, by the founding fathers who were book obsessed and yeah, wanted cheap. Yeah, I think cheap. they did. They wanted a cheap way to so send their old, heavy libraries around. <laughs> an old thing. Hopefully it stays around. Uh, so it doesn't. So I think it's only paperback because it's a weight-determined system. So it does, doesn't cost too much to send a single a paperback by media mail. So you get the request for the book. I think you send it off, and then you can request books. People send them to you. So the books are always rotating. It's like a kind of like a private lending library, essentially. I but we don't. We're not speaking from personal experience no. here. I haven't used it. If Seems any like- of you actually, if any of you have used it. Uh, leave us a comment on the show notes, or or we'll we'll have our phone number at the end. Call us and leave a comment. We'll our reader it liked it a lot. Podcast, you know. yeah. So there was uh, someone also mentioned bookcrossing dot com, which again I'm not speaking from experience here. It's a service where it's not really an exchange, but you put a kind of a code or note in the book, and then you can watch where the book goes online. Kelly was intrigued with that. I. That did such, not interest you're me. You're such a cranky old man. I cranky cannot old man believe about that one. It's really fascinating. He was. He was like, "Well, why would I care where the book goes?" You know, I'm like, well, "That's fascinating." Because I think uh, it's so. The books I think are not like you know sold or anything in a traditional method, but like you take a book, you mark it, and then you leave it somewhere, and someone picks it up. You leave it on a train, and someone picks it up. Where does it go? I think, however, people are using it as a way to find books too. There's people using it in in it's less. It's not just about seeing oh, really? where it goes. Well, yeah. how would you find it? Would you if I, it's if they're well, out floating again, in the world? How not would speaking, you? not speaking okay, from well, experience here. If any of you know or viewsbookcrossing.com. Yeah, uh, I let think us it's know. it's kind of like the um it's like the garden gnome thing. Where's where's my copy of Anna Karenina? You know, how far has it gotten? I think that's fascinating. Ah. Oh well. Uh speaking of digital tools, a uh, number of people mentioned going digital, in other words using uh Kindle and other e-readers. E-readers. I actually uh, Kelly fobbed off an old Sony e-reader on me that's no longer made, but I managed to get it working again and uh actually kind of enjoying using it in conjunction with Project Gutenberg, which has uh, many, many thousands of public domain books that you can download for free. So that keeps the clutter down. And it's a, the Sony e-reader is a little kludgy. It's a way kludgy. Uh, however, <laughs> it was always difficult. Like the so- the hardware was okay, but the software was just ridiculous. And I I the I the, got the read the the Sony a long time ago because I didn't want to be a slave to Amazon, uh, and so that that allowed me more freedom. But it's, it was a lot more work, and I I have to say somewhat shamefacedly that last year I fell to the dark empire. And I got a Kindle Paperwhite. But you like the Kindle Paperwhite. I mean, I really love it. But it's like it's like saying I really love being abused. I, you know, it's it, they make it. They're so good at their evil, and they they make it so easy. Like I just touch it, but they're like, "You want this one touch buying?" I just, I mean, I don't have to hook the thing up to my computer. I don't have to deal. The Sony was always always work. There were translation problems. Things had to be plugged in. I couldn't even use the Sony's native software because it was so bad. I had to use Caliber. It was always a pain. And this this Kindle Paperwhite is just 
like a little like a little fairy friend that just is there to give me books and take my money. And I, I feel kind of guilty about the whole thing, but I, I do enjoy it, especially when I'm traveling or actually I take it camping because uh, I, then I have, you know, a lot of tent reading without much space being taken up. I still love paper books. I'm still romantic about paper books, but I think a, a digital has a place as well. Uh, it's a, it should be said the library too has digital lending. Yes, you can lend, and you can even at, you know Amazon uh, used to be bad about this, but now you can at least from the LA library some titles you can check out and read on your Kindle. So yeah, digital. Uh, you can be a digital minimalist. Uh, you can sell your books in some places. I know it's getting harder and harder. A lot to be said for digital minimalist. Actually, I, a lot of the paper stuff, tax documents, and things like that. I use Evernote for now. So we don't have a lot of files sitting around. And I, I've become a big fan of Evernote. Yeah, just as long as the cloud stuff. holds up. It, well, yes. Well, I guess if the cloud collapses, we've got bigger problems. Exactly. Uh, so One of the other things people mentioned was the little free library movement, which um, our neighbor Jenny Cook has installed one of these. It's a box on the street where you can leave books and take books. And some entertaining things have happened with Jenny's little library because one thing is our neighbor, Doug Harvey, left some books there, which I then picked up. And then amusingly, Doug was at the library book sale and instantly noticed that I had purged my library just because of the craziness of the titles. He, he, well, he recognized, he recognized that it was our titles, that it looked like us. And that's interesting that libraries really can be a mirror but then he also saw in it books that we had claimed from the little library. No, I no, no. I think or no, had he no, given no, no, them no. to here's us? Here's what here's a funny thing that happened. He had given me a copy of the Food Diary of Lewis and Clark, which I spent one evening enjoying, and then gave to the library book sale where he found it. I so noted he knew that, we had unloaded come, his gift. This has come full circle because I noted that on the blog and then someone bought a copy through Amazon through our website of that <laughs> very book, which is very funny. Hopefully that, that will end up in the little free library or at the Edendale Public Library sale at some point. <laughs> anyway, little free library is a take one, take one, leave one uh, neighborhood book swap center. Very uh, cool. Very cool. I'm very glad that Jenny, I always wanted to put one up, but, um, I have no carpentry skills. So I was leaning on Eric honey, and then I, trying to make it a honeydew and that didn't work. Uh, and so Jenny beat us to it and, and they did it. I don't know who, do you know who built her box? It's beautiful. Well, John did. Oh, did John do yes, all the work? Her husband, handy. John, he's a handyman and he, yeah, it's, so it's a, it's a beautiful box. And it's been busy since the day it went in. So it's Actually, fantastic. Actually, it's overflowing. So I've I've had thoughts of putting our own in. I think there might be room for two on on our street. Oh, uh, well, but... Mm, well, we'll, well see. Well, I don't know. If it's over... I don't want to get competitive with the little free library. I think it's overflowing because you and I have been stopping so many books. No, actually, lately. someone else did. <laughs> the interesting thing about it, I think Jenny will probably have to take some to the library book sale because there's some books that have stayed in there i i put a few in there they're, that they're, they're non-starters titles. not yeah. too bad i mean i you know not like they're um manuals for old computers or something not that <laughs> bad but 
there's a few I think there's a few textbooks in there that haven't haven't moved yeah who wants old textbooks which that I mentioned in a blog post too was that Nassim Taleb the the risk management theorist was also thinning through his library and and had a nice Twitter a tweet I should say I sound like an old man he had a tweet talking about the books that he got rid of and this this idea that he that he he noted that the longer a book is around and irrelevant, the more likely it is to stay relevant. Say like the complete works of Shakespeare. Did we get rid of the complete works of Shakespeare? Do we still have that? I have it in my office. Exactly. So that's a good example of a book that would will probably stay relevant. Whereas, you know, a Photoshop three manual is probably, <laughs> it's probably not. not. Or one of those like advice books or perhaps a, a book popular, on purging. <laughs> Nassim Taleb noted that popular science and a lot of nonfiction doesn't doesn't have a lot of lifespan. Mm. Those are actually a lot of the books that we'll get at the library mm. and read. Because they, they it's true, they don't they don't stay relevant for very long. So there's reselling books. Reselling books. I sell books through Amazon. Uh, which the I have mixed empire. feelings about. Obviously, it's it's sort of the evil empire. You can sell books to Powell, or can you do it? Yes, well, someone. Online? There are two people mentioned that one one person in Portland said, "Well, they just go down to Powell's, which is a massive bookstore, and they will buy books." And then someone here in LA mentioned the bookstore downtown called the Last Bookstore. The Last Bookstore, which also will buy books. There's not many. Well, there's so few independent bookstores anymore, uh, and used bookstores. Um, they They've all been eaten. Um, so it is hard to find, but maybe in your town, if you look around, you can find someone who will buy books or at least buy some of your books. You can also sell books, like like we were saying, online, like through, you know, Amazon is the great evil, but they have an app for it. You know, so, you know, as we were, as we were sorting books, we were scanning barcodes and to see how much books could go for. Uh, a lot of books don't go for anything, especially fiction. If it's books ever been popular, it's not going to be worth more than a penny. But uh, like, don't try to sell uh, Love in the Time of Cholera or something like that. But uh, kind of obscure books, uh, obscure arty books, our catalogs, show catalogs, things like that. We have a lot of art because of our background. We found that those really go, the things that are out of print. So often, you know, I mean, not enough to make a living at it, but, you know, we were, we're able to unload those books for like 30 bucks, 50 bucks. And that's, that's fantastic. So keep an eye on the, the surprising value of some of your more obscure books. Although you have to kind of let go of that because you can get too much into checking whether books are valuable and then they somehow don't make it out the door. Yeah, sometimes, I mean, they can have like a high list price, but nobody at that moment wants them because you're waiting for some some hapless grad student to be interested in the topic and be willing to buy your book for 50 bucks and that might not happen, you know, for a year or two. So it depends on how obscure your stuff is. There's, what else is there? Well, I, I think that's enough about books. You know, yeah. one thing we forgot to talk about with the clothes was the odd folding method, the t-shirt folding oh, method. Oh, you're skipping right. We didn't, you know, I'm not ready to go over. Okay. What do you want to talk about next? Well, I, I just wanted to talk about people's, um, a lot of people uh, talked about how they realize that they invest a lot of identity, like they find identity or, or create identity through their bookshelves. And I think that is one reason that makes it hard for people to purge books. Um, so one reader just called it vanity, which seems harsh, but perhaps is true. But people want to um, 
you know, you, you've read uh, classic books or hard books or books which are prestigious in your field or, you know, or whatever, and you want those to stay on the shelf. So people come over and go, oh, well, they've read that, you know, but if they don't give you joy, they're supposed to go. So, Or they're not useful. They're not useful. So, I mean, and that's hard. I, I, I corresponded with one reader about, you know, getting rid of all their hard hard like philosophical books from grad school you know it's like you know you know you don't have to prove to anybody that you read those anymore they need to come off or there's that uh there was that reader was he from boing boing uh, he or she who said that they arranged their books on based on vanity right that was a boing boing reader you know you put the the fancy books up at eye level and then the books you're embarrassed about which which he said were the pre-1970 science fiction down at the bottom (laughs) You know, where you have all the philosophical, religious, and art books up at up at eye level, just <laughs> kind of guilty as charged around here. <laughs> the Harvard Classics Library I'm looking at right now is much higher than some well, the of the other books. Well, in the living room is is pretty embarrassment free. You would have to go into my office because I I have a great love for sci-fi, fantasy, and even romance sometimes, and so I have a lot of cheesy books like really cheesy books and i've moved out all of my highbrow grad school books to make room for my favorite cheesy fiction but that is all locked away in my office where people don't see it all right so now folding yeah folding got a lot of traction too i'll try to keep this short so we don't go on all night long about stuff but of of all the different decluttering techniques and things we talked about the two that really hit hit a nerve were folding and books and so we want to focus on is there a video that shows her folding method yes why don't we link that was on our blog it was on our blog okay i'll put it again in the show notes for this show yeah basically basically what you know konmari asks that you arrange your drawers like file folders so instead of folding your clothes in squares and stacking them like they do at the gap. Uh, you know, instead you you fold them in tight kind of rectangular pouches or not pouches, but packets. Like they're a little fatter. We're than, talking about t-shirts. Like here, well right? anything. Actually you can do this with, with t well certainly with t-shirts, but you can do it with sweatshirts or pants or, you know, you can work it out with your socks and underwear. Basically anything that goes in a drawer, anything that's foldable can be folded in some way to make it stand up on edge and then be arranged cheek by jowl in the drawer in rows. So you cannot fit as much stuff in a drawer as you could if you if you put them in, in vertical stacks and pack them into the drawer. But what if you've purged your clothes and you've got the space now, it's a really nice way of arranging your clothes because then you can see all of your items at a glance and then find the thing you want and pull it out without disturbing the other things. Cause that's the problem when you have a stack and you want the white t-shirt and the white t-shirts in the middle of the stack. And you have to, you know, take off the top of the stack, get the t-shirt, put the stack back together and things fall apart. The center cannot hold the drawer goes to heck pretty quickly. And so I, I used to, you know, be all, I would arrange the drawer so it was tidy, and then within a couple weeks, it would be all tangled again, and then I'd have to rearrange it. And it was like one of those Sisyphean tasks that I just hated. And it hasn't been that long, but I don't think that's going to happen anymore. That's why I'm so excited 
about the about the vertical or the horizontal stacking kind of thing, the, the file folder style that the KonMari suggests. And I've gotten a lot of good feedback on the blog from people who've started that and or who've already it's not like KonMari invented it. I think tidy people have been doing this, <laughs> but it's just news to me. And and I'm and so it has been kind of a revelation. And even Eric, you like it. I'm a convert to the method. There were, you were not some... Mr. Foldy before. No, not at all. But but it's true. You can see everything at once. You can see where stuff is. It it actually makes a lot of sense in spite of the fact that there was an initial reaction to it that this was very strange somehow or a weird practice. But it... yeah, when I read it in, in her book, her book suffers a bit from awkward translation. The translation is a little stiff and sometimes not so clear. And when I first read in the book about how she folds t-shirts, especially how she folds socks, and I still don't understand what she was saying about socks, but I'm just winging it. Uh, I, I was, I, it sounded like origami and which is not something I'm good at. And it sounded like it was too much trouble and I, I didn't want anything to do with it. And we'll post a video of her doing her folding and she makes, it's ridiculously tidy folding with sharp creases and proper angles. It's, it's, it's insane. Don't let that scare you. It doesn't have to be a very tight or tidy fold. You basically just have to make a fat rectangle of whatever it is you're folding and stuff it in your drawer and it works. So you can be as slobby as you want to be. It's still going to work. I also, uh, should add that small stuff like, um, like uh, women's underwear and socks can go into smaller boxes. Like um, I've got mine all in, in shoe boxes now. And so you can make small file folder rows in a shoe box with things like socks, hankies, bras, panties. Those things can all be packed into smaller boxes and then that box put into a drawer. Whereas larger things and like men's underwear is a little bit more substantial. So it can often just exist in the drawer without a shoebox. But yeah, shoeboxes help. That's Konmari's not big on organizational helpers, but she says shoeboxes you can do a lot with. Now, we went on to do the papers. Are we ready to talk about the papers? Yeah, I don't know what to talk about. But we went on to say the papers, you know, she says, well, a little bit, but. She does say most of them you can get rid of, and she's very right about that. There, you know, there were twenty-year-old phone bills and things mm-hmm. like that. They're just not necessary. The tax documents you're supposed to keep pretty much forever, but you know, honestly, I scanned a lot of the cloud and shredded. There was some shredding that had to happen. Old bank statements, things we like that. We had to take the most critical, like the the stuff that we could least afford to have out in the world. We had to go to a uh, to office supply store. We, much, we have a shredder. It's just there was too much to hand. It would have taken you know, sheet hours by sheet. Of, of home shredding. We've tried that. We also tried burning them in our in our bread oven. But again, like sheet by sheet, smoke. is too smoky and nasty. Yeah. And uh, so we just we we thought we we spent uh like your typical like DIYers. We spent a long time trying to figure out a solution to this problem. Like Soaking can can we soak it in water with some ink to obscure it? Can we make a paste mean, out of ink. it? And I always thought no. This is my own idea. Was that like if you soaked the the documents with ink or something, then you would obscure everything, and then you could throw the whole pulpy mass in the recycle bin. I I don't know. Or you know you shred it all and make fire bricks out of it, or or make your own paper out of your old tax documents or whatever. But we finally just took it to the office supply store and paid per pound to have the most critical stuff shredded. And the rest of it went to the city recycling. 
But it's nice to get rid of a lot of that. It was good to get rid of that. We're, we still haven't finished, though, because we need to do the, the, the photos mementos. That's our last thing. Well, we have more to do. Yeah, we have. Oh, well, there's the kitchen, too. Well, there's a lot. Well, I should talk about this is what I just blogged about was that after we did these big categories, papers, books, uh, and uh, clothes, she, at that point, this is uh, another week, I think it's kind of a weak point in her book, is that she she calls after that her categories become smaller and she puts them all under a larger category called komono not to be confused with kimono the komono is um and it means like miscellaneous items and then and so she calls everything komono which is i mean i understand there are things that are very komono like you know random chords and uh 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 Party well, invitations. Cords, she just says to get rid of. Which yeah, is, she's, that's smart. she's like, yeah, she's like, you know, you will never use if you don't know what that cord goes to now, you're never going to use it again, which is very true. But also, but she put, but under kimono also is like huge categories like the kitchen, the pantry, or cooking tools. It's it's odd. Um, and she has a list of subcategories for kimono and an order that you're supposed to go through them, but they didn't make sense for us. So at that point we veered off and, and sort of went rogue on her system. And that was a mistake. So we, at that point we started doing sorting by location instead of by category. And that was a mistake. Uh, so that means, you know, like let's attack, uh, underneath the bed. Let's attack the top of the armoire. Let's attack uh, the space underneath the kitchen sink, that kind of thing, which, you know, I mean, I've gotten through them, but it, it's slower and not as efficient and there's not been as much purging. Uh, and so I think what needs to be done perhaps is to rework her small, her categories, smaller categories to reflect our own junk and then our junk needs, <laughs> our junk specificity, and then and then stick to that and work through them. I mean that leaving the going to location rather than uh, category was a mistake, and also I think it was a mistake for us to have gone uh, solo on solo missions. Oh, not working together. Yeah, that that probably that's true. It's slowed. It's funny. You think it's more efficient, but we just are not as ruthless or as fast when. We're alone, it seems. You need I, someone to you need question, someone to your, question decisions. your decisions and to move you along. I mean, so if the two of us are doing something and one of us is holding up a book going, I don't know, there's usually one of us who's strong enough to say, it's got to go. You know, but if you're alone, you, you really dither. And, and sometimes I think, well, maybe Eric wants this or I don't know what this is. Maybe Eric knows what this is or whatever. So there's reference back to him and that slows things down or... Or there can be misunderstandings. Things can get thrown away that shouldn't have been thrown away. Um, there was the mead incident. Yeah, you threw out a six-year-old mead that I had aging, but that's all right. It, <laughs> I tried it. It wasn't that good anyway. It wasn't good. <laughs> I, it was never good. That's the problem. Nevertheless. <laughs> but it was wrong of me to have, uh, to have thrown it away. This is a th this is because I was I was in the grips of of purge mania and I knew the stuff wasn't that good and I knew it was not getting any better and I knew that if I actually just slid it out the door you would never remember that you had it but you caught me oh well it wasn't there, it wasn't that good anyway but there, I you tried to carbonate me, it actually but I was it didn't, I was caught didn't, out didn't work. 
<laughs> well, you know, um, overall, though, I think the process is a good one, and the house is looking neater, and we kind of figured out it sets your priorities, too. You realize a lot of these things you just don't need, so you don't accumulate it, I think, going going. Yeah, I mean, that's future. really important. You don't want to do this again, and so, you, it, yeah, there's no more accumulating stuff. I, You know, we did not say, and I think it's important to know for people considering this book, is that one of the keys to her attitude towards items is is that uh, she anthropomorphizes items. She's she's an animist, I, I think, and so she she asks you, you know, you, you ask yourself whether an object gives you joy, but like that joy comes through relationship. She thinks you're sort of in, you're in relationship with your items, and when it comes time to let go of an item, she asks you to thank the item for you know its service. And then, um, you know, and then to put it away, even if it was... Well, give it away, you mean. Or put it, yeah, put yep. it, give it away or throw it away. You know, even if, it, if you thought it was a mistake, you can say, you know, thank you for teaching me a lesson. Or, thank you for teaching me I don't need these things anymore or whatever. Uh, but you go, that sounds odd, you know, maybe when you first read it. I did it with the clothes and it helped. And then I didn't do it with the books and the papers and... I didn't feel good after the process, like the process, I mean, I felt, you know, satisfied that we'd done it, but I kind of felt this sticky, like kind of, nah, I've wasted things and things aren't the way they should be. I, I don't know. Somehow this strange KonMari thing about, about facing up to your items and your relationship to them is actually part of the cleansing process. That's what I'm trying to say here. And and it shouldn't be skipped. And I find when I skip it, I don't feel as good about the cleansing as I do when I acknowledge the objects and their place in my life. I think she's just bringing into, you know, she's making something, we're also aware of something that's unconscious. I think everyone thinks this way, actually. I think everyone has this relationship with objects. It's just that in the you know, post 18th century West, we don't like to admit it, but our ancestors thought this way and people around the world still think this way. And it, it's, it's a reality. And we have to face this, this object, this relationship with objects that we have. It should, yeah, it shouldn't be and like it has to be acknowledged. empty user sort of relationship. Well, if you it don't... should be a reciprocal, loving relationship. Well, and I think if you don't acknowledge it, it leaves, leads to kind of schizophrenia where this yeah. stuff you know, comes, builds up it back, like comes to haunt you anyways. Haunts you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, unfortunately, I've got to go. Uh, oh, Eric has to go fencing. Indeed. So we have, we have That's so pretentious, but it's true. I'm going to get some <laughs> exercise tonight. Eric has to put on his fencing whites and, and go off with his pick fencing me up. friend yep. and, so, and fence. Anyways. So, yeah, well, that's a good place to, to end. Um, love your items. Love your house. Konmari says, when you come into a house, you should greet the house. And I kind of like that, too. I haven't started doing it yet, but she comes in, I guess, kind of like, you know, helloing the ship. You know, hello, you know, hello the house. You know, and inside the house, there are objects that you've made a conscious decision to live with instead of unconsciously accumulating it. Uh, and everywhere you look, you know where things are. You understand why you have them and their value to you. And so you're living in a in, in a peaceful house. I think that's the that's the end goal here and we still got some some ways to go but we're we're getting there. Good.
Hello, the house. All right. Next week is Tara Cola of Silver Lake Farms to talk about about flowers flowers and growing flowers and selling flowers. Things you don't know about flowers. And the things you don't know about flowers that you buy. To leave a question for the Root Simple podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Root Simple on Twitter. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment for us in the iTunes store. We're also on Stitcher. And you can support the Root Simple podcast by buying a copy of one of our books through the Amazon links on rootsimple.com. Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 